So when you start getting that symbiotic relationship happening in your garden, then you don't have to use too many pesticides and you've got everything just working in harmony. Compost is the best thing since sliced bread. Everybody should buy compost. When you walk out a garden center with a trolley, it should have a bag of compost on it or you should be making your own at home even better. Hi, I'm Melanie Walker and this is Grounded. If gardening is your passion, this is the place to be to find out about what's happening in the gardening world. And yes, welcome to Grounded. I'm Melanie Walker and back again with me, the sexiest man in gardening today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, sorry, no, I haven't brought Dermot Gavin in either or, or Andrew, what's his name with the, the gap between his teeth. Now, Mike Rickoff is back with me. How are you doing, Michael? No, I'm fine, man. It's great to be, you know, since I've been here, the whole studio and everything around us has changed. Mm. Now, artworks and there's a clock on the wall with an analog sort of arms. And <laughs> <laughs> lovely. But it's, it's fantastic to be back. I mean, I, I missed radio, mm. I must be honest. And it's fantastic to be back. I, I, I always love being here and engaging with people, as you know. Yes, yeah. exactly. But I have been busy. I have, I have, you been, have been doing been a few busy. things, not just holidaying. You know. No, no, you've been busy doing show gardens and catching up with all your clients and playing with the SARS, as all of us are doing. So we're going <laughs> to take some time out now to relax and chill and have some fun in our little garden space. Yes. And and especially when it comes to being life in a garden. Life is a garden. Life is we a garden. There we go. In and is. <laughs> that means we've got Carrie Goodwin in with us today. Hi, we haven't Carrie. seen you for a Hello. while either. <laughs> I know it has been a long time. Yeah. But our gardens are looking amazing. I think we've had the most beautiful rain and everything's just lush and full and in full of buds and flowers and there's the bees and oh I'm loving it and the bugs you see I, I, <laughs> I hate I hate to say this but but there are also you know we have many bug issues and fungal issues and things at the moment so mm. just what you know be happy as we all should be mm. um, but just watch out for that because we even in show gardens you know we planted mentha and within two days there was an infestation a of fungal, in, fungal infestation oh, no. I thought we were talking about your feet I thought from being in the rain and splashing around <laughs> about your wellies on you might have actually got something like athletes but you no, talk we'll, about bug we'll talk about that later now fungal this was there was a fungal in infestation on the menthas and it, it happens so fast uh, you know of course yeah. when you do show gardens and things you have plastic over and you, mm. your humidity levels mm. get a bit high so the rains have been good and whatnot but it it also calls for some attention to the garden doesn't it yeah. yes definitely yeah. and i think when we're talking about bugs we have to look at doing companion planting mm. and one of the things life as a garden spoke about this month is using garlic and when there's when i think of garlic i'm thinking oh stay away you know when they come and spray our roses with the garlic smell I'm like oh not my favorite really no what's wrong with you and life is a garden is talking about social garlic and I'm thinking what the heck is social garlic and then it's actually the tobachia so it's a companion plant to keep the bugs away and it's flowering everywhere now beautiful purple and there's a new one Oh, yes. What's it called? Not Zahara. What, um, it's called it's, something like that. It's a white with a slight tinge pink to it. That's the one that I'm thinking of. I've got one which is kind of a very, very pale pinky color and it's got variegated leaves. Mm. Oh my goodness. I saw this and I was like immediately, I put it, I saw it next to the ordinary tilbachia, which got that very vibrant kind yeah. of violet, not quite deep violet, but like light violet. And I saw these and I'm like, I have to have those. So now I have these in and you can eat them. Yes. So I think apart from being companions and keeping some of the bugs away from our roses and vegetable gardens, you know, I always tell people to plant them around our veggies to keep the bugs away, is that you can cut the flowers and put them in your salad. Mm. And they're just beautiful. Yeah. And water-wise. And full sun. And they're hardy. loving this heat. They're yeah. very hardy. It's one of those tough plants that we plant. Um, you know, when mm. you've got a, a garden space that's hard to maintain. And you talk about planting dietes and things. Mm. Everybody seems to plant dietes in those spaces. 
But uh, I've seen some wonderful tulbach here that are, are doing very well in some very hostile environments. So I think it's a plant that can, can really cope with it. Oh, they're fantastic. Yeah. Mm. And apart from being companions, they also look really good in grasslands. I mean, all our grasses are full of inflorescence at the moment and the birds are going crazy trying to get as much of the seed as possible before the winter. So, I mean, yeah, they can just... Go anywhere in your garden. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned grasslands because that's also something that um, has been on my radar <clears throat> pretty much this year. And even on Facebook, I had a, a friend who put up a thing and uh, here's a picture of my garden. This is soon going to be a grassland. I'm going to actually take it back. I said, well, I hope that you've been watching our TV show because we actually had a whole thing on grasslands and what kind of plants you could plant in it apart from grasses. And Tilbachia is definitely one of the ones. It's also got the strappy leaves. It fits in perfectly. It gives you that little bit of color coming through. And I love the fact that people are getting more into grasslands because they are our second biggest biome in mm. South Africa with diversity and people are just willy-nilly digging them up and throwing everything away in, in the quest for capitalism and growth and let's have lots of big buildings. And our grasslands are diminishing at a rate of knots. So if we can bring them back into our gardens, how amazing. What do you think, Michael? I think it's one of our social responsibilities as landscapers, certainly from my point of view. Grasses are big. Meadows are big. Mm. I don't think there's been a show garden in the last five years where I haven't included some sort of grass garden in the in the space. Um, and, and I think it's important that, you know, we actually turn our gardens into something. If, if we could take our gardens collectively and, and add them all together and, and, and garden responsibly and ecologically, um, I think we're making a massive contribution. And this is something I think we're trying to install in younger people as well. Mm. It's not just about pretties. Yeah. And meadows are pretty. I mean, some of the best grass gardens I've seen, uh, Pit Olof, Mm. It has these beautiful grassland gardens overseas, and lovely swathes of gardens, and they're the prettiest gardens you're ever going to see in your life. Oh, and and, yeah. and they're so low maintenance as well, which is a good thing. I love with the grasslands how you get the bulbs that pop through. Yes. So now you're getting all the cacrosmia that are oh, going to say cacrosmia is <laughs> popping through at the moment. Oh my goodness, and they look absolutely fantastic. So I think that's also what's so nice is that the the unknown or the surprise of maybe the crinum is going to come through. And I recommended it to one customer, and then he said, "Oh, the jolly porcupine! They just keep eating them all up." Yeah. And oh gosh, imagine having problems like porcupines in your garden. <laughs> we had another customer. He's done exactly what you said. So he's taken his pretty garden and he's turning it back into a grassland mm. and then he says the amount of insect activity that's coming into his garden now is just incredible and you know when we talk about pests we have the beneficial and the non-beneficial and the more beneficial ones you have they're going to eat up all the ladybirds are going to eat the aphids so when you start getting that symbiotic relationship happening in your garden that's what you want because then you don't have to use too many pesticides and you've got everything just working in harmony we should work towards that. But there are some things that unfortunately only pesticides will get rid of. And I mean, there are occasions when people will come into me and say, <clears throat> where I'm working and go, I've got this problem. And I'm like, I really don't. I, I try mm. and say, let's go as organic as possible. But there are some organic yeah. insecticides, but that's also going to kill off your beneficial insects, which you don't really want happening. But I know that there is a, a problem coming, which you're going to talk about. <clears throat> and, and I will blame Michael for this one, because Michael decided to go and use conifers in show gardens now there's so it's actually quite interesting how few people who actually work as landscapers like conifers why don't we like conifers Michael? i've used conifers in a in a landscape a commercial landscape i've used once um ever and that was because it was a specific request to the client mm. I'm, I'm not i don't go for conifers um you know mm. conifers come with their own problems um i found them they can be quite sterile and hard as plants go oh, as i say in what was it under a tuscan sun creepy italian trees 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the reason why, and they are making, I think, something of a comeback, Kerry. We mm. were talking before and you yeah. were saying it. And the strange thing about that is in Shogun's this year, we've included things like conifers and lots of topiary. Mm. And that was because it was, um, you know, a celebration of the of French. French. Yeah. Mm. But, but specifically the, the French Renaissance. Mm. It's a 500 year anniversary of the French Renaissance. And so we kind of went with that theme. And, and because of that, we've got lots of topiaries and stuff. And the one good thing about a conifer, if you can find the right, right shape and form, you don't have to keep trimming it like you have to do a topiary. So, mm. you know, they do have their upsides as well. But then yeah. with the, I mean, the biggest pest for, problem for me with those, of course, is the aphid that comes yes. along with it. The Italian cypress aphid. And I always find it interesting because the aphid only shows it's what the damage it's done, like September, October, November. But actually, you have to treat the conifers now when the aphids are doing the damage. And that would be probably from about March. You start treating there with a pesticide to be able to, normally a systemic pesticide, mm. to keep the aphid away. Okay. okay, for people who don't know, sorry, the difference yeah. between a normal insecticide and a, a systemic, because that's the one thing I'm always explaining mm. to people what the difference is. Oh, am I telling you? You're telling, <laughs> you're the one who's doing her PhD and like, you know, stuff to do with horticulture. Yeah, okay. So the systemic is actually gets absorbed by the plant and sits in the plant. So it protects the plant from the inside compared to a contact which the insects walk over it on the outside and they get it onto their feet and then it goes into their tummies and then they pass away. So the former the former is a drench which you yes. put into the soil and the other one is a spray. Yes. So I always go people I think that it's a better idea to have the systemic. I also prefer unless systemic it's because it doesn't unless it's, unless it's an edible. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And even then I mean I say to people if you're using an organic insecticide please 6 weeks at least but I mean the problems at the moment we, and we we talk about bugs and pests mm. and I mean that's a big one for conifers um people the amount of people who have got scylla on their their cabbage trees lemon trees and surprisingly yeah. on their the curry leaf tree I was going to say and on the coral trees I've and coral trees yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. so there's all the there's this crossover of stuff so and bugs and we, now my aphids all over the place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. mealybugs on the <gasps> sage. And whitefly. We don't actually treat for scylla. We pull off the really bad leaves. We don't. You don't no. need to. It I doesn't do anything leaves. to the plant. We pull off the really bad leaves yeah. and then we fertilize the plant so that it has, you know, lots of energy and food to be able to produce new leaves. Exactly what I say so. to people. But whitefly is another big issue. And especially as we're coming up now to starting to think about putting in our winter crops. Food edibles, which is all your cruciferous vegetables, and whitefly love those. What is the best way of getting rid of those? I'm gonna. <laughs> the pesticide way would be there is a, a, a fantastic whitefly specialized pest mm -hmm. pesticide that you would use. And the thing with a whitefly is you actually want to kill the life cycle. So the life cycle is four days. So whatever pesticide you use, you would do it day one and then day four, and you should be able to kill the insect, the egg, the larvae, the nymph. You know the whole life mm -hmm. cycle. Do you agree? I do. Yeah. yeah. And then, but otherwise, the one we always learned with the fuchsias is you create a draft. So if you have a place where it's uncomfortable for the white fly to be, so you know, when people put fuchsias in the shade and it's quite a still environment, then I always tell them to, when they walk past their fuchsias, just tap them with their hand. And then the white flies will keep bumping and, you know, being uncomfortable. And then they'll think, well, this is not a great garden to stay. There's always a wind or a draft here. Let me move somewhere else. So that would be the natural way to get rid of them. Or like you do with <laughs> aphids, just spray them with a very strong jet of water. Yeah. Don't kill off all the beneficial stuff. Go as natural as possible. No, we try not to. I mean, you know, one of the big things we've got at the moment is the red spider mite, which, you know, mm. we've, we have this intense dry heat and then we have the rain and then intense dry heat again and the plants start to assume the sort of, they, they start to almost start to lose their green, their mm. color. Mm. And then, you know, you've got red spider mite and that is just deadly because the whole plant just suffers. So you've but got what some, does it look like? Can you actually see them? 
You can, if you look really closely, they're tiny little things, and they don't look like spiders at all. They're little red, brownish That's bugs. Yeah, like so. a pinhead on the back, under the side of the plant. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, you can identify them, but it's, you really identify the damage first. And, and I think that's one of the points I wanted to say to you, Carrie, is, is with aphid, uh, the, what did you call Wi-Fi. it, the Mediterranean, Italian aphid. Oh, Italian aphid, aphid. yes, yes, yeah. Is, is that you, you see the damage before you mm. see the bug. And, and the question most people will ask is, you know, can I rehabilitate my conifer afterwards? And a lot of people say, no, you can't. Once, once it's damaged to that extent, it's not going to come back. Is that true? I mean, is, can it not be rehabilitated once it's damaged? Or, or how far should the damage go? Stuff, yeah. Yeah. With the Italian aphid, the damage is seen from the inside of the plant. So I think it's how quickly you notice, because most people don't look at the inside closer to the stem of the conifer. But if you're aware of it now, I haven't actually heard of people dying completely because as soon as they've seen some sort of thing, because it's quite a, a structural plant and it's one that's that visually pleasing, they do kind of notice it quickly, although mm-hmm. the damage is already done. If you manage to feed it then, and I have, yeah, I think you should be able to rehabilitate but it. But they start looking bizarre because like one wow. side of a tree will yes. die off. And I mean, they're supposed to be looking symmetrical. <laughs> oh my goodness. All <laughs> these things. How long does it take for someone like that to eventually grow back? I mean, this is the big mm. question. Yeah. The worst is when you've got a whole row of topiarized plants and one yes. of them breaks and then you see somebody put something and the other one's trying <laughs> to very gain, like trying to catch up with the others. Come on, wait for me, guys. Wait for me. No. Yeah. And it just looks very odd. So you actually have to then go and find a plant which will fit in with the others. So it, it does make a lot of sense to make sure that you look after your plants right from the beginning. Yes. And watering. Watering is key. The amount of people who come in and go, yeah, but no, I, I watered my plants. When did you last water? <laughs> no, about three days ago. And like, no, no, no. At the moment, it's really hot and dry. You need to yeah. water every day. And then the one guy comes in and says, yeah, but I mean, I mean, this plant has been going well for like three years and it suddenly died. I said, well, when did you last feed it? He says, what do you mean feed it? Yes. I just looked at him and I said, right, that's it for you, boy. You are now going into that naughty corner over there and I'm going to keep you there for three months and I'm not going to give you any food. I want to see what you look like when you're finished. Okay. But people just don't get it. That they, They think, oh, I'm just going to put it, it's going to get soil, stuff from the soil. They don't realize how quickly soil depletes. And the whole thing about, oh, compost is just a marketing ploy. Oh, you know, no. I swear. <gasps> yeah, I used to be one of those people, so don't like get too. Oh, okay. like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking compost is the best thing since sliced bread. Everybody should buy compost. When you walk out of a garden center with a trolley, it should have a bag of compost on it. Or you should be making your own at home even better. But just get one that doesn't smell too bad. Some of them at the moment are just smelling awful. So just go and smell it. <laughs> but the smellier the better, all the more nutrients. No, no, no. There's some that just smell like, no, 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 no. I'm not putting that in my garden. I think some of them are um, sitting a little bit because of the rain that we've been having. So maybe they're packing it quite quickly because mm. people are using compost in their gardens. Mm. But I mean, I know when I make my own Bokashi compost and it's also not supposed to smell. So maybe I'm just immune to these smells. But um, I use it in my garden because I'm thinking, well, the smell is going to attract a lot of beneficial bacteria, which is going to break down the compost further and further mm. or the stuff that's in my Bokashi bin better and better. So I almost think of it, well, the smellier, the more bacteria I'm going to bring in to break it all down. No, I just think it's bringing <laughs> flies and I have enough of those in my garden already. Thank you very much. No, but you're supposed to, you know, use it in your garden. So then there won't, shouldn't be flies in your garden. No, well, I have flies in my garden and I've been asking for people for years because what happened is that my ne- up, upstream neighbors, and I could say mm. upstream because I take all their wa- um, wastewater, stormwater, yeah. their cottage flooded. <gasps> one year and then two years later it did it again so of course and then what happened with the cottage flooding and there was a problem with their sewage line oh no so everything came up out of the toilets in their cottage mm. and then through their very nicely paved courtyard oh, and goodness. down into my garden which of course then soaked it all up so i've been having issues even though council will come in and, and try and sterilize <sighs> no so i'm very aware of bugs and bad bugs and good bugs 
And but we're talking about good bugs. Yes. And one of Michael's favorite good bugs. Life as a Garden has a most beautiful a recipe DIY project on how to make a solitary bee hotel. Mm. Sounds lonely. Well, it attracts lots of different solitary. It's like a That's hotel. It's a hotel because yeah. they can all come there, Michael. <laughs> we had a customer. That's uh, for single bees. Yeah, yeah. Like, like me. <laughs> like a dating website. I'm okay. a single bee. I need, I need a solitary bee hotel. Right. Okay. <laughs> we had a customer and he said it was like watching a soap opera. So it isn't really like a, one of those grand hotel Budapest places where just different bees come in and um, make themselves at home. And I think we keep, you know, we do hear about it, bees being in the environment. and But we need, we don't understand that if we don't have bees, we're not going to have food. So the more bees that we can have and create in our gardens, you know, planting the right plants as well to attract them, the better our gardens would be and the more food we'll create globally. But people don't understand the difference between normal honeybees and solitary bees. So, hmm? yeah, yeah, no, I think so. Whether it's a solitary bee or your honeybee, they're both going to be creating pollination. To me, I, I know last year there was a big thing about invasive bees, mm. but they're still doing the job of pollination. And that's what we need because, like you were talking earlier, how we're busy destroying our habitats and we're taking the habitats away for the bees. Even things like the eucalyptus. You know, a lot of us eat eucalyptus honey, mm. and that is one of the invasive plants, but it actually serves a purpose in providing the bees with pollen for pollination. And so there's a, a double-edged sword. Mm. Want of a better word? The be all and end all. <laughs> <laughs> Michael's very passionate about this. He's sitting and listening and thinking. Oh, we've yeah. been evangelizing and beating mm. this drum for how long now? Um, in terms of looking at, I mean, we recognize this problem, I, I'll say decades ago. Mm. People were already realizing that we were losing bee populations. Mm. And, and I, I can remember scary videos of farmers in northern industrialized Europe, for instance, pollinating their fruit trees by hand, by hand because there were no bees about and and, and this the problem is not going away yeah and even though we're putting smaller you know everyone's trying to put a little beehive in their garden it's not necessarily having the desired impact it's creating the right mentality um but oscar lockwood a, a friend of ours mm. um, colleague of ours mm. said has told me that you know their company who's a big landscaping company putting big oversized beehives on purpose um, as part of their social responsibility mm -hmm. and their social drive. So, you know, I think we have to recognize that, yes, make a contribution. Everybody must make a contribution, but it's a mentality issue. Well, France you know. is getting the right mentality. It was a, a little while ago that um, the news came out that they have banned the five big pesticides which actually get rid of bees. So they, they're no longer selling, allowed yeah. to sell, and they're not allowed to use them on agricultural land at all anywhere in France. It has to yeah. come from them. Yeah. I mean, it, can't, it, can't, it can come yeah. from us, but it's has to come from the people who call the shots mm. yeah. um, at the end of the day and that's I mean they're becoming quite responsible in all respects you know greening of, of the, the rooftops in, in Paris and mm. whatnot as well so the French seem to be on top of this whole thing we should all go live in France <laughs> I know my <laughs> children want to, to live there up, you know? and go and check the lights it's the most beautiful places to live actually I, I particularly partialed on to you know Saint-Tropez <laughs> along the Côte d'Azur there a fantastic part of the world I love it yeah. oh, nice even go further down to Perpignan and go into the history it's fantastic yes. so this, I mean the solitary bug hotel I think this interests me a lot in terms of the fact that, or bee hotel, mm. you say, but we we have bug hotels where we're mm. creating all sorts of beneficial bugs, we hope, to the gardens. And, and this is, you know, it's not a trend. I think, Melina, mm. how, how often mm. have we been excused of trending, you know, because of oh, no, things we talk it's about? It's like, you yeah. know, when, when, yeah. when um, vertical gardening came in, oh, it's just a trend that's going to go. It's still happening. Oh, yeah. It's growing. Yeah. It's and actually it's growing. We had some customer who did a vertical garden with succulents. Mm. Um, this, and actually he did a photo wall, so it was a backdrop to a photo shoot. And then I said to him, well, if you're not using the succulents afterwards, please 
just let me know and I'll go and donate them to a school or some mm. good cause because, you know, you don't want them to just use it for a short while and then not do something with it when it's beautiful plants. Mm. It could go to somebody beautifying an environment that maybe doesn't have those advantage of plants or. Yeah, so mm. and if we could get, I mean, we should go and be setting up bug hotels and bee, Vertical. bee I, hotels you know, and one stuff. Of the yeah. things, you're right, Mel. And one of the, if you look at the show gardens that we've just finished at Lifestyle this yeah. year, we've built a whole apartment that has green walls on the outside. So the entire apartment wow. has green walls. And one of the walls happens to be a succulent wall as well. Oh, I can't wait space. to go and see it. But, but what I'm saying is just building that garden, as we were planting it, mm. we saw butterflies and bugs and bees landing on some of the plants. So, yeah. you know, just imagine you're creating this vertical space and the footprint of that space is what, about a square meter mm. of, of wall, but you, then you've got about 10 square meters of, of plants, oh, you know, in that footprint. So um, it has its place. Bug hotels have their place. Mm. I'm just interested to know what specifically makes it a bee hotel as opposed to just a bug hotel. I think um, the holes that you drill for the bees to come in are tiny, tiny, tiny. Well, they're different sizes, but they really start off the size of a pin. And then they probably don't get much bigger than about two millimeters. So your bigger bugs, you know, when you're creating a bug hotel, you've got pine cones and you've got mm. bamboo, different pieces of bamboo and a whole lot of different sized organic matter in your bug hotel. Whereas within your bee hotel, it's more a piece of wood, and then it's got tiny little holes drilled in it, which the bees will then come and put their wax in and the pollen that they're collecting. Okay, mm. so we, we've almost done that in, in the bug hotel we've just done in show gardens. It's, mm. it's got lots of that stuff you talk about, yeah. all broken pots and quail and things. Yes. But in the in the wooden structure of the thing, we've put all, all these tiny little holes. So yeah, maybe so we've unwittingly created a... A bee so, hotel too. Yeah, exactly. You're going to have both. You're going to have bugs and bees. You know, and yeah, I always thought it was the birds and the bees, but yeah, now it's obviously going to be bugs and the bees. <laughs> now, talking about, th I mean, we're talking about bigs, bugs and animals and things. We also, yeah. you, you've got a whole bunch of stuff here about pets. Yes. And cats and dogs. So I was going to say, actually, I think that's one of the growing trends. Well, it's been a trend for a long time, but a lot more people are, their gardens, even if they're getting smaller, they still want some place for their pet to be. Mm. And so they started buying the pet grass, which helps with the digestion for the animals. But a lot of the herbs are really good. Like if you give your pet celery, it's really good for arthritis. And you can, I know, I also thought, my goodness me, I might actually start eating a whole lot more celery, <laughs> except that it's green. That I've got to see. <laughs> Carry eating something green. That would be fantastic. Yeah, it wouldn't be top of my list, but I like the crunchiness of it. But then also for worms, if you take uh, some of the herbs that have a very a fragrant smell, mm -hmm. like your oregano's and your yarrows. You can use them on your the, the skins. Goodness gracious, makes me sound like I don't so have make, a pet. But so make you could it, rub what, you them. Make a, uh, just rub it and you don't have to actually distill it into water and then pour that over as a rinse or something? You could do both. Okay. So the Life is a Garden does give a recipe for both internal and external. So even if some of them, if you wanted to add it into their drinking water. But I would... For me, and I think like I only have a cat, so I know she won't want to drink any water that might have something in it. She would much rather I just put it in her brush and, you know, brushed her with it or something like that. But what we can use in our gardens for, whether it be for the worms, for digestion, and to attract other bugs, so like we were talking about attracting insects into your garden. You know, a lot of your pets actually like to play with the insects that are in your garden, and they could be a protein source as well. So it's just like a win-win all the way around. <laughs> Cats don't like, like to just play with the <laughs> insects. They like to bring them inside. Walking no. through the house this morning and step on a half-dead mole cricket. Oh, no. You the don't baby have birds well coming brought in. No, mine, I've got a hunter. He loves it. He's the night fury. He is toothless. He comes through the night. He's brought me a baby rat, oh, which ends no. up sitting in the toilet and looking at oh, me in the morning no. when I go out going, me, me, me. Oh, no. Okay. So, no, I, I don't like my cats playing with anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, what else have they got Fruit. in there? Um, they've got, oh, and then 
for flowering. Uh, the calendula for the skin as well is mm -hmm. also a really nice one. Thyme is one that you could have quite a lot of uses, whether it be for digestion or for skin. What else have they got? Rosemary mm -hmm. is a great one for digestion to add into maybe your dog's food. So I think there's quite a lot. And then, as we've said the, already, the grasses mm. that will help with um, just making their tummies work well. And you know what I planted, which I always think is amazing? I planted catnip because I thought my cat would love it. She doesn't love it particularly, but the neighborhood cats love it and the bees love it. I've never seen so many bees attracted to such a simple white flowering plant. And it's just formed a huge shrub. You know, I think all the cats before I've had have always actually loved it and you never actually see anything but two leaves. Mm. But it's a beautiful shrub to have in your garden. Well, I've, I've found that um, flies are particularly, you know, when you're mint, your ordinary garden mint mm -hmm. flowers, flies love those flowers. Oh, it's yeah. the most bizarre thing. <laughs> never uh, let your garden mint flower. It doesn't get a chance. No, we, we use it all the time, so it never gets a chance. But you know, we've got we've got the the pets grass. We've got mm -hmm. we've got a dog and two new kittens as well. Oh, gorgeous! And they they adore the catnip. So we almost have to keep it in two wire baskets to let it grow back yeah. a little bit. So uh, we've got the yarrow and all that kind of, and it's quite amazing because it is a the pets do hang out in the garden quite a lot, which is nice. They're not mm -hmm. always well, except that the little dog is always <laughs> sleeping on the couch, but. <laughs> You know, the one thing about gardening for, for pets as well, uh, and I think we should make the point, is that it's not just the plants that you put in your garden, but the way you garden, the way you mm. set out your garden. Yes. A lot of people think if you've got a pet, they, they should block where the dog wants to go. And oh, it's no. completely the opposite <laughs> of what you should be doing. You know, you allow the dog to go there and cater for it. Yeah. Mm. Um, cats as well. You know, our, cat, our cats love to clamber. We've got lots of trees in our garden and they love to climb, just chase up those trees. So yeah. you've got to make it a happy place for the pets, I think. I was going to say, my cousins, they live on a top floor of an apartment and they're going to get kittens now. But they've already requested, please, can you find us a tree that we can put on the top floor of our apartment for the kittens to scratch? I'm thinking, oh my goodness, do you know how many stairs you're going to have to carry that tree up for your kitten to scratch? You know, you can't buy things as scratching posts. And they said, no, the trees are much, much better. So it is to create that natural feeling. You know, we do try and do the synthetic thing as well, but why not have a balcony garden, a rooftop garden that you were talking about for your pets? Mm. Not only for ourselves with vegetables on it and that sort of thing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, that's a great idea. I, you know, just don't, just be careful to barricade it nicely. You know? <laughs> I just yeah. have to do something with my children. They don't want to be in the garden. And I was like, give me that phone. I think I should set up a, a Wi Fi hotspot in the garden and then maybe that's the only place they can actually access it. That's, that's not a, a bad idea. idea huh? yeah. hmm. I, I've, I've heard lots of, I've heard rumors of, of children wanting to be back in the garden here and there. So it's encouraging for me um, yeah. to try and get kids back in the garden and i think it's something we've been engaging with schools lately in terms of trying to to tell kids how, how important it is to be in the garden and some of them act surprised you know that there are people out there who actually have careers doing gardening stuff yeah i could it's imagine really actually i think <laughs> they would be fascinated <laughs> i mean because if you think about i want to say our jobs they are just joyous mm. oh Goodness. Before we go, because yes. I know I'm seeing running out of time, there's something that Carrie you know, mentioned and wants to talk about further quickly. So the 12th of March is National Plant a Flower Day in the Northern Hemisphere. And we thought, why should we leave it only to the Northern Hemisphere to plant a flower? Plant a flower, not specifically a plant, but a flower. It's a plant a flower day, actually. Yes. So what are so, your suggestions for the best flowers to be planting at this time of the year? Actually, I love gardening anyway, but it would be salvias. Salvias Ooh. are looking incredible. Oh, yes. Especially those little bright red ones. Yeah. And you get indigenous exotic ones mm. and they attract lots of insects and bees to your garden and you can use them, you know, it's, it's a sage family, so you could use it in some of your cooking as well. Good idea. 
Mm, I like silver. We like the silver. We got lots of silvers this year as well. Lots yes. of the blues. Mm. Oh, beautiful. And the, the whole family, there's so many different ones. You don't have to just. I'm looking out the window at the moment and looking at some red ones and some purple ones. I'm very, very happy. Yes. Well done. <laughs> okay. So there we have it. Those are the things you should be looking out for. And of course, if you want to get um, those recipes and things like that, you go to the website, which yes. is www.lifeisagarden.co.za. And Carrie, hopefully we'll catch up again with you next time um, yes. in a month or so and see what we're going to be doing for winter. That'll and Michael, you're back with us again next week, aren't you? Yes. I'm back with you, yes. Fantastic. All right. So for everybody else, uh, don't forget, get out there. It may be looking like it's going down towards the shorter days, mm. time of year, but there's no excuse for you not to get out into your garden and have a bit of fun before the sun goes away for a while. So get out there and just stay grounded. Bye-bye. For show notes and more information about this episode, go to solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash grounded.